Follow me, some people own stocks. Welcome to Playing Footsie, the podcast where we talk about stocks, investing, and personal finance. Before we start, we want to make it clear that the information presented on this show is for informational and entertainment purposes only. None of us is a financial advisor, and this is not financial advice. Investing in the stock market comes with risks, and we strongly encourage our listeners to do their own research and consult with a licensed financial advisor before making any investment decisions. Now, let's dive into the world of finance and talk about what we're doing with our money. The sucker's going up. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Show. I'm Steve W. I'm here with Steve D. It's been an interesting week in the UK world and the US world for stocks. Inflation is coming down-ish in the UK. Zoom has reported some kind of mediocre earnings and Costco has reported some pretty good earnings. But we're not talking about any of that because we've got much more interesting things to focus on. It's a nice day here, Steve. How are things where you are? Steve, before we do that, look what the cat dragged in. Hello? Fuck me. Hello, are you hearing me? <laughs> Can you hear me? <laughs> Hello, Paul. How are you? Uh, I'm okay. Um, uh, it's only been a week since I've seen you. Uh, how, why are you so? Why are you so surprised that I'm here? Occasionally, we have seen Paul before the show, but he's rapidly disappeared because of his uh, his, his useless internet job. Internet, yeah, terrible around here. Yeah, it's it's been really hard to keep up with the podcast. So. I, I appreciate your patience with me, guys, and and people in the comments. So I've been reading your comments, and <laughs> yes, I'm not dead or anything. I just, I, I'm just my schedule is really tough at the minute. Yeah, not yet, but we're uh, we're continuing to bash through. Looks very nice where you are, by the way, Paul. It actually is quite nice here as well. So it for is, all I know, it? that could just be you at home. Yeah, well, no, I was in the UK last week, and it was really sunny, so uh, I was quite happy with happy with that. I actually got a tan there when I don't really get a tan here. It's like 30, 35 degrees here. So. <laughs> Very nice. So uh, as a result of Paul being here, I forgot to think about how my week has been before this show started. Steve, how's your week been? Uh, well, I have some news, Steve, some personal news. So uh, keen-eyed listeners, uh, are also known as people who follow me on Twitter, will likely be aware of the Mighty Oaks from Little Acorns Grow series that I've been doing <laughs> on there. Uh, essentially, I've been growing an oak uh, tree in water from Acorn and doing a weekly progress update, and it's gone surprisingly well, considering what it is. Uh, but the nature of why I'm doing that can now be revealed. So I actually started this the day my wife and I found out she was pregnant with our first child. Uh, the theory being that uh, I can one day plant the oak outside and it will be the same age as my offspring. And we might even learn a thing or two about compounding. And I'm actually joking there because I didn't even think about that. I'm far too surface level <laughs> to think about anything as deep as that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, for, for, for actual completeness, uh, it's actually 12 weeks now and not eight like the image would suggest. Uh, and that's because you have to spend a couple of weeks tricking an acorn into thinking it's winter. Otherwise, they won't start. So, yes, my wife is pregnant uh, and I'm going to an oak tree. And around December, this show is going to feel very pre-recordy. <laughs> so, so, so your baby's growing in a plant pot? Is that what I got from that? Something, something Pretty much, yeah. Like... Yeah, I have yeah, two babies. One to nature for nine months and then yeah. probably accidentally killed because I'm too tired to look after it anymore. Wait, that's the tree, right? And the other one's an oak tree, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the tree, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. Well, you know. Yes, child servants. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's all right. Most of my friends are social workers, but they don't listen to this show. <laughs> We'd be absolutely fine. Uh, but congratulations, Steve. This is exciting stuff. Um, Thank you. Does this cause you to think different? I'll ask you the question that everyone, uh, or not everyone, somebody asked me uh, around this stage. Does this make you think differently about the entire world? Uh, not really, because I've been sort of thinking anything can happen in the first twelve weeks. I've just tried to not think about it too mm-hmm. much, and yeah. I un- we only we only got to twelve weeks on uh, Thursday, so I'm still in a sort of mini state of shock about the things I'm probably about to change. I have I did post it on Twitter, obviously, uh, uh, what was happening, and uh, I got a lot of people saying like life begins now, and I'm like, oh shit. I mean, I'm 35. <laughs> I sort of hoped life had already begun, but yeah, I think that there's a lot of thinking to do. I have no idea what I'm doing, and if anyone has any suggestions or top tips or anything in the comment section, just let me know. <laughs> comment section is a great place for top tips by the way uh steve of course will be getting advice from everybody that he knows because that's what people do and it's generally yeah. pretty well-meaning advice and people want to just you know make your life a little bit easier but comment section is great because you don't actually have to sort of look too closely and, and people can just offer advice and uh and leave it there so thoughts for steve in the in the comments and uh either on his acorn or on his uh, future small human i guess um you mean my acorn yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh good <laughs> right when paul's we... here it all goes to shit the what? yeah <laughs> what's wrong with that we were a serious show for like three weeks there I mean, we're four minutes in and uh we managed to make a dick joke already so that's good hmm <laughs> 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 all right so my week are we going going with my week now yeah yeah I mean, your week paul i mean my week's my week's great i'm i'm back yeah I, i'll tell you i live in cyprus at the minute um back here it's great it's very sunny i went for a mile and a half swim in the sea i'm trying to get fit and trying to lose weight for my wedding which is in august uh so that's that's the personal life that's going on at the moment uh stocks great right Everyone's had a good week in stocks, and I have absolutely no idea why. I can't figure it out because none of it seems to make sense. You spoke about the debt ceiling last week, and that doesn't make sense because everyone seems to have amnesia from two years ago when the last meeting was. Uh, It's Yeah, I I don't know what's going on with stocks, but I'm happy. I'm guessing all three of us right now are in unrealized green right now. Yeah, definitely for me. Um, I, I to be fair, I didn't have as good a week as most people did because uh, Tuesday and Wednesday were pretty stinky sort of days. Um, but I, I did end up back ahead of where I was at the beginning of the week uh, after Thursday and Friday. Friday were pretty excellent, uh, excellent days. But um, I've made a few changes in my portfolio, Steve. I sent them over to you. I just sold off a couple of things. I basically. Clipped a little bit off Salesforce because it had grown quite quite a lot. I sold Spotify entirely. I sold mm. Sony uh, entirely as well, and I basically used that money to bump up all my stakes in pretty much in my REITs. Really, I've I've quite heavily invested back Ooh, in them because they're all still looking. Yeah, they're all looking kind of sorry at the moment, and I I still don't think they're in any kind of massive danger. Not I, I only really invest in the big REITs or the well sort of hedged REITs, so mm. uh, they're not in any kind of systemic uh, issue. I don't think, but um, mm. yeah, I've got I've got a deposit due to go in as well, Steve. So uh, I don't know. There's loads of stuff that I could I could potentially buy. I mean, we were talking about Airtel and Forterra last week, and. Both of them look like um, buys to me. Um, yeah, I'm really, really, really interested in them. How are you, how are you getting on, Steve? 
Uh, I'm not in Unrealized Green just at the moment, mostly because I've been buying stuff quite recently and it hasn't gone anywhere yet. But some of my kind of deeper red things have gone um, less kind of deep red just without me really realizing particularly. Or they've just done it and, and now I look and they're different. So Amazon is a good example of this. I was in the quite deep red. I'm now in the sort well, of shallower. Sorry, guys. Gotta go. um, we're leaving this in, right? Yeah. Uh, Amazon was in the deep red. It's now in the kind of much, much um, shallower uh, red and it's it's still red so I haven't really paid attention I think I mentioned before that there's this kind of issue about when it doesn't really cross over I don't really notice whether the number's much bigger or smaller hmm. my portfolio's mostly gone sideways uh, this week actually um, I'm not quite sure about the, the massive run that Paul's seen I don't own any NVIDIA shares but outside the markets uh, for the moment uh, my students went for their um, the finalists that I teach over at, at the university I teach at they went for their final exam uh, which is kind of all their assessed work for the stuff they do with me it sounds like it went very badly uh, for them in that they were all hoping for easier questions than they got they were confronted by a question of could you have been a poached egg um and they had no idea how to answer that question so if you don't know if anyone knows whether they could have been a poached egg or not uh and the answer you think is that you don't know whether you could have been a poached egg or not nor do any of my students but you haven't spent loads of money trying to study with me to find out uh so um yeah that didn't go so well for them i presume they answered some different questions in general uh they had the equipment to think about that uh given to them in tutorials and so on but they I think stayed away from a topic they were hoping to answer questions on. So yeah, there's not going to be there's not going to be a test question on can I be a poached egg. I think we can safely skip that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's not likely to be one of those. Uh, but still, I mean, I, the rest of this show could just be me talking about that. But we won't go with the rest of the show being just me talking about that. We will go with the rest of the show to do with stocks and stuff, shall we, Steve? Let's do it. Let's do it then. So here's something that didn't make our thing last week. We were we had this on our list, but we, we went on for so long about other interesting things that we didn't get this in. Sometimes that happens on the show. We don't just say everything that we, we've thought in the week. Sometimes we mostly do. But uh, it was 13F season, and we haven't talked about them just yet. And normally we would let this pass, but I felt this was not okay because um, there's special reason to talk about 13Fs this this particular season that there isn't in a usual one, especially the Berkshire Hathaway uh, one. So Berkshire Hathaway's 13F was reported as usual on the 13F reporting date uh, deadline, um, and their 13F indicated larger than the previous quarter, end of previous quarter positions in the following stocks, HP, Occidental, Apple, Bank of America, Markel, Citigroup, Paramount, Capital One, Diageo, and Vitesse Energy. Uh, we'll come back to what they sold in a moment, but there's quite a bit going on there and there were lots of interesting things and this caught lots of people's attention and it absolutely wrong-footed a number of very good people uh, and me as well, but uh, not everybody here. Steve, take a bow. Uh, yeah. Would you like to say what happened here or would you like me to do it? Well, I will pass it back to you, but it's just a key little uh, learning for everybody is that when you see something and it doesn't really make sense, it's always best just to check the press releases that come out with it as well, because sometimes there's a small explanation in there. And Steve, I think you've got a, a rough copy of that, have you? Yeah, uh, so I don't have the copy of it, but I can tell you what it said. Here's what it comes down to. Berkshire, as uh, Berkshire shareholders will know, owns an insurance company called General Re. General Re owns an asset management company called New England Asset Management, uh, or NEAM, or NEAM. I'm not sure whether it's an acronym or an initialism. I'm going to call it NEAM for the moment. NEAM has historically filed its own 13F, consisting of a combination of 
things it's invested in and things it holds for its customers being an asset management uh, company. And but uh, as a subsidiary of Berkshire, they've now decided that they're going to file some of that stuff into and incorporate that stuff into the Berkshire 13F. Uh, so some of the increase there is just things that were part of Neem, which is part of Genry, which is part of Berkshire, now being listed on the Berkshire uh, thing. There was no actual buying going on there. It's just a difference in, I guess, a difference in what you might call accounting, basically. Mm. And the things that uh, fall into that category were HP... Apple, Bank of America, Markel, Citigroup, and Diageo. So several people there, including me, got kind of wrong-footed a little bit. Uh, I was writing about this for The Motley Fool, um, and I thought, okay, there's some things here that make sense to me and some things that don't make sense to me. So bear in mind this is covering the period between January and March, basically beginning of January to end of March. I thought an increase in Apple does make sense based on where that was at the start of the year. That was under 150 not a huge surprise to me to find out Berkshire might have added to its stake there. Tick. Uh, Bank of America and Citigroup went down as big surprises uh, to me, given that at the uh, shareholder meeting, Buffett had said, I don't like the outlook for banks. It looks way too uncertain and had been selling out of, uh, well, various banks, including US Bancorp and so on. Uh, so to find the idea that it added to B of A and City was surprising. It's less surprising when you discover that he wasn't doing that. And the big one that made no sense to me at all, uh, although I assumed it wasn't a Buffett thing, was Diageo. Uh, we have talked at great length uh, on this podcast about how Diageo looks an awful lot like a Buffett stock. Um, it looks like it because it has strong brands. It's a consumer-facing thing. It's got top-selling products in various categories. I think brands probably do matter uh, in this context, to be honest. But um, equally, it's nowhere near at the kind of prices that Buffett buys these things at. And it's well known because the previous points are, are pretty darn obvious. It trades at, I, I can't remember now, but the last time I looked, it was around 26 or maybe more times earnings. I don't think Buffett's buying Apple at 26 times earnings, let alone uh, Diageo. And I think the growth prospects there are, are much, much better. Um, there's a couple of other bits we might kind of come back to uh, there, but... Um, I saw this reported, I think, incorrectly in good places like the Times, like on the FT. I had a nice article written explaining my confusion about some of these things and not about other things. And then Steve said, have you seen this? Just as I was about to whack it to send to the copy editors. Uh, and I looked at it and thought, let's change that uh, in that case. So, uh, Steve, so put this way, this has um, slid past the attention of good journalists. It has slid past the attention of lousy Poundland writers like me. Um, but Steve got this one uh, and he managed to stop me from looking like a complete idiot uh, and no doubt attracting yet more criticism uh, to uh, Motley Fool. So uh, round of applause for, for Steve here. His, um, this kind of attention to detail will be useful to him in his future parenting career. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So not like David Cameron leaving my children at the pub and things like that. I'll be, yeah, I'll be well on the ball. But yeah, Steve, I did. I, I always tend to read things like that because I can't see um, a Buffett or Munger or any sort of the proteges buying Diageo. So I had to go figure out why it made why it made sense. It's like make it make sense to me why anyone would buy this. And and I think the uh, the reason why people like the Times etc have run with it is because they're so desperate to say that somebody like Buffett would invest in a Diageo. Somebody like Buffett thinks that the UK market is cheap and look at Buffett buying this, look at Buffett buying that and 
And I just thought, sadly, that doesn't really seem like the case to me. I think if you were going to come over here and buy something, if you were Buffett, let alone that he could accidentally sneeze and buy the whole of most companies <laughs> over here, um, I just thought Diageo was probably the most unremarkable of the sort of companies that he could he could snap up. So I was very suspicious of it, which I think that's one of the sort of tricks you need in investing, is that to be suspicious of absolutely everything. Uh, and... Um, and yeah, and just a quick nose, uh, found the press release and, and there it was in, in, in plain English. Yep. Uh, just uh, to try and restore some of my own credibility here, the generally named thing wasn't entirely unknown to me. The reporting shift caught me off guard. Uh, but I had previously written, and I guess I can make this available if anyone wants to read it, um, this really great piece that I thought would be terrific for uh Motley Fool at first, and then I thought it'd be rubbish for Motley Fool, but it's an intrinsically good bit of writing about how Buffett had been selling Coke shares, uh, which he has not, uh, out of the, um, the the main Berkshire portfolio. And it's also worth pointing out that Buffett doesn't operate the Neem portfolio that's run by their own kind of asset managers. But as I made the point in there, um, they have been selling uh, Coca-Cola shares at least a couple of quarters ago, uh, and they let those go at whatever price they let them go at. And I think that while it's one thing to point out that no, Buffett isn't actively managing that portfolio, it's run by other people. If you think they are floating entirely independent of uh, what Berkshire thinks um, and so on, you are dreaming. Um, their biggest holding is Apple. Their second biggest holding is Bank of America. Uh, there are some generally sort of familiar themes coming through uh, with this. There's a lot of uh, similarity and a lot of overlap. But the fact that they were letting Coca-Cola shares go, thereby reducing Buffett's stake as Buffett is an owner of Berkshire, is an owner of Genry, is an owner of Neem, uh, in Coca-Cola, I thought was quite significant. Uh, Buffett said he'll never sell a share of Coke, and I believe him, because Berkshire's cost base is so low that the tax on it would be ridiculous that they would be better advised to sit there and keep the dividends. But my take-home point from that was, in the view of Berkshire Hathaway as a whole, uh, and probably Buffett by extension, Coke is overpriced. Uh, so don't just go buying that stock because you think, great, I'm going to build a kind of Buffett-type uh, portfolio here. The fact that a subsidiary of Berkshire is selling out of that stock or reducing in that stock, I can't remember which it was now, uh, spoke to me to the idea that um, actually Buffett would sell this if he could do it in a tax-efficient way, and he exactly. can't, and that probably makes it the right thing not to, but uh, yeah. Yeah, there's no sense in selling Coke for Buffett now because his cost base is so low, he'll end up with a huge tax bill for selling it. So, uh, Interestingly, Steve, I've just finished reading Poor Charlie's Almanac, which is Charlie Munger's uh, like anthology, and um, he's got uh, 11 or eleven or 12, no, 11 talks in there um, that he's given over the years, are his best 11 talks, and then he, at the end of each talk, he has a small section where he reviews it and sees if there's anything he would change or add to it. And in one of the talks, he gives uh, a speech to um, just a bunch of Harvard, which he, he has real disdain for universities. It's quite interesting. He has disdain for a lot of things. Uh, but uh, he basically explains how nobody can ha nobody from Harvard will ever be able to go and make another Coca-Cola again because they have um, like a, a just a single discipline uh, approach and not a multidisciplinary approach. And he goes through, you know, how they needed biology, how they needed psychology, how they needed business acumen. In how they needed marketing, how they needed advertising to make Coke the brand that it is today. And in there, bear in mind this talk was from 20 years ago, he predicts that 
earnings only need to increase i think it's by six and a half but it might be by eight percent i can't remember the exact figure but earnings only need to increase at cut by six and a half to eight percent for it to be uh, a trillion dollar company by 2035 and uh, i was running the maths on that Stephen. that's not a million miles away from uh, uh, where coke has actually since gone over those 20 years as well a, a slow and steady compounder um but yeah i just thought that was uh, that, that was really interesting it's it is a really good book but you've got to be able to get it shipped to you at the moment which costs you about 80 odd quid from america there is a new version coming on amazon and i have checked it out it is a condensed version of the book it has less of the family things and the uh, monger and friends talking about things and uh, charlie just sort of wax lyrical in on a uh, bits and pieces here and there but it has the talks in which might be worth picking up because uh, from what i understand it's going to be uh, quite a bit cheaper maybe about 11 or 12 pound for the hardcover which is probably worth it yeah, it probably is. Is it out yet, Steve? Did you say, or is it coming out? November. November. Excellent. So one for the Christmas list rather than the birthday list for me. My mm. birthday's in uh, August. And if, no, not that far away from friend of the show, Casper's. I think he's either a day earlier or a day later uh, than me. But I will be looking out for that. Um, there was just a little bit of action on the sort of selling side that caught my eye from Berkshire Hathaway. They sold more than they bought, but uh, one that stood out, or two that stood out to me, I guess. One was Activision Blizzard, which we've talked about in some some detail there was a bunch of stuff from banks uh, but it's also i noticed a reduction in chevron the reason that stuck out to me is twofold one is that chevron was a big big part of that uh, stock portfolio before still is uh, the other is that chevron was one of the companies that um one of the stocks sorry that was partly acquired from neem uh, so actually for that to see that go down on balance means there was some quite significant uh, selling going on there, as well as some known buying into into Occidental. Um, don't know much about what to think of that, Steve, but it looks like an increasingly kind of sophisticated uh, oil move from Buffett, I suppose. Yeah, strange one really, isn't it? It's, he's taken about 33% of the uh, position away from about just under 10 to just about 6.65%. Mm. So. It's quite a significant sale, and he was buying it up until last quarter, I seem to remember as well. So it, it is a, a definite change in how he feels about uh, this kind of market. So uh, I'm not entirely sure, Steve. Maybe he's worried about this massive buyback taking him over the 10% reporting uh, limit. It's possible, I guess. Um, might well be the case. I I haven't got much new on that to add. So should we talk about someone who's a bit closer to you than to me uh, sure. in terms of investing style? Should we talk about Josh Tarasoff? Josh Tarasoff is someone we've mentioned on the show ooh, a few months back now, I think. Probably quite some way in, in a 13F uh, season. But he's got a, a pretty concentrated looking portfolio, or at least the US part of his portfolio is pretty concentrated. I raided through quite a lot of 13Fs, and there are some where there's just so much moving around in small inconsequential ways mm. that that it became a nuisance to write it all down and report it to you. But here's Tarasov for the moment. We'll start with the buying side, shall we? I mean, it looks like this is very Steve. This is if Steve D ran a hedge fund uh, and had maybe slightly different ideas to what he currently has, but in broadly similar uh, styles and themes. So on the buying side, I've got adding to Monday.com, Trupanion, Burford Capital, and new, new uh, purchases in Microsoft and Markel, uh, which is to say... Tell me you're working for Steve D without telling me you're working for Steve D. Uh, Steve, what do you think of these? Yeah, I think they're, uh, well, they're all of, uh, well, three of them are on my uh, buying list. True Panion is no longer on my buying list because that 
is a strange company that seems to be blowing up its own margins and uh, and its own free cash flow um, margins as well. So that's something that I have put to uh, one side. But Monday.com, I own that. Markel.com, I uh, sorry, Markel.com, Markel Corp uh, is something is that's been on my watches for a short while now. And Microsoft Corp is a stock that I would absolutely love to own, um, but um, I, I just find it perpetually too expensive. Yeah, I I was going to say, you said three were on your buy list, and I would have, if I was forced to guess, I wouldn't have been surprised to find that all of them were on your buy list, to be honest, but if I was going to guess, I would have said not Burford Capital, and then I would have been unsure about where to go next. Uh, Probably I would have said, not Microsoft, but I don't know Trupanion well enough here. Mark L's interest, everyone's buying Mark L. Berkshire is kind of buying Mark L. there's, they're getting a lot of uh, attention at the moment, and and fair play to them. There's a business breakdowns episode on them. I thought they sure. were pretty good. Um, you quite like these then, Steve, as a sort of um, I don't want to say mini Berkshire because I, I think it's not a good comparison, um, and I feel like it's quite lazy for someone like me who owns a, a decent amount of their portfolio in Berkshire to go saying things like that. But um, what do you like about them? Well, I guess it's a mini Berkshire in the sense that it's uh, an insurance sort of outfit with a with a stock picker at the head of it um which is kind of what uh what 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 markel is so uh, a, a young a youngish kind of stock picker as well in terms of uh mm. ceos of people so uh, maybe some 20 years of longevity there which is which is great for compounding to have somebody with the same idea for 20 years is, is usually uh, a, a a really good outcome uh, an outcome so uh, yeah, Markel looks uh, very interesting to me. Uh, it, it's just, it's one of those shares, it's really strange. It's it's not split very often. It's got a very low count, so its share price off the top of my head is in the thousands of something. So it's one of those things that always immediately puts you off because you're going to end up with like 0.15 of a share or something as you're edging your way in. So uh, I don't know if that should put me off, but it but it, it definitely has at the moment. But Steve, have you seen the rest of Tarasov's portfolio? I think it literally is pretty much mine, but copied. I think so, yes, which raises the question of, I guess, who's copying who. Uh, but I've got uh, I've got on the selling side for the moment then reductions in Shopify and Salesforce and an exit from Netflix uh, yeah. from Tarasoft, which is you were you were reducing in Netflix I think at one point uh, well one point it was your biggest holding and you thought and then it kind of predictably did fairly well and then you thought let's let's bring that back into line or did you not do that in the end yeah I did I did bring it back down it, it became a massive position in the times when Google and Amazon and uh, well Disney have continued to sort of flatten and that'd be around. roughly during this period wouldn't it so the yeah, sort of January to March period that we're talking about here yeah sorry yeah I think Tarasoft's taken about a hundred percent return off Netflix though whereas I didn't take anywhere near that level I took about fifteen or six. 16% uh, up a lot more at the moment as well so um, but yeah I mean from his list Spotify he's not doing anything with that I have just exited that position at the moment but Google Amazon Salesforce in at the top they're about in the same sort of position to me Amazon's my biggest Google is my third ASML is my second CRM and fifth it'll be fifth or fourth Steve so um, yeah we've uh, inadvertently copied each other it's a 12 stock portfolio it's much more concentrated than yours um i don't know whether this is broadcasting things that you're not ready to broadcast yet but one thing that i know from sort of personal experience is that in the early in the very early days of parenting i'm still in them to be honest mine's only coming up to a year 
you find you have less time to do and think about mm. stuff. Some of it still stays there, right? If you listen to stuff on your journey to work, you will still listen to stuff on your journey to work. That space won't go away. But you you find that the stuff you have for thinking about this is a bit more compressed and you have to be a bit more careful about how you use it. Do you think you might get your portfolio into a, a smaller, more easy-to-monitor shape? Yeah, definitely already in the process of trying to do that. Um, mm-hmm. But it probably won't be 12 positions. I'm, I'm going to aim for... Well, at the moment, it was at 35. I'm probably going to take it down to 30, see how I feel, uh, but it might end up going down another five. But the thing is, Steve, is that I don't know if you're... You're probably not the same because you don't you don't really have an attachment to your portfolio at the moment, do you? But when I go down my list of stocks, I look at them and I really struggle to see which ones that I think are my worst ideas. So I had this thing a couple of years ago, which I said to Steve, one of the things I quite like doing every so often is to order my stocks in by list of conviction. So the stock at the top, am I convinced that that is my best, my best idea working all the way down to the bottom? And then I look at that and my allocations and see if they match up. And um, if I've got a stock that I've got really low conviction in, but I've got quite a lot of money in it, then that may, might be one that's you know ready to have its you know a trim or its head lopped off. Um, and that's kind of what I'm thinking about doing at the moment. But I am I quite like the shape of my portfolio at the moment. I feel like if you know, as Buffett would say, if the stock market was to close today and not reopen for twenty years, I'd be really happy with what I've got. So would I with where I am at the moment. I struggle a little bit with the exercise you described, and partly because I own a slightly um, weird collection of stuff. So if I think about trying to compare my stocks to each other, suppose I try and compare for the moment then uh, something like Amazon with something like the Aviva Preferreds that I own. So the Aviva Preferreds are going to pay me a dividend of 7% pretty much forever. I have pretty... Well, I have relatively low uncertainty around that. That's not going to be much higher and it's not going to be much lower. Uh, or the, the payment I get isn't going to go anywhere at all. The stock price might go anywhere, so the rate that I can reinvest it at might change. If it goes down, I'll get a better return by reinvesting. If it goes up, I'll get a worse one. Um, compare that to Amazon or even Apple or something. Uh, over the next sort of 20 to 30 years, will they manage better than 7% grow, uh, return? Probably. Um, over the next 10, will they do that? Don't know. Less sure. Um, so I, I kind of wonder about how to kind of weigh some of mine against each other, uh, to be honest. And I have stuff that I find hard to evaluate in relation to that, like Kraft Heinz, which I think is not going to grow massively, but I think its debt's got further to come down and I think returns are going to get boosted when it does. Uh, yeah, I find this much too difficult uh, for me. And I don't own that many stocks at the moment. I've kicked out all the ones that I was kind of where I thought obviously there's a oh, I've got Forterra in there as well. I don't want to make a that. Um, I should probably just put the whole thing into that, I guess, and get a collect a, a 5% immediate dividend next month. Yeah, we've got that coming, haven't we? That's not that's not far away. And I think it's been announced at 10 was it 10p and 10.1p a share, was it? That was. 10.1p a share. Share price is currently about 180-something p. Yeah, pretty pretty decent return. Mm. I'm expecting the share price to drop as a result. This is going to be an interesting kind of experiment to see, I guess. And it yeah. ought to, right? If you have two stocks, one of which is going to pay you a 10p dividend and the other one is not, which is the difference between Forterra before its ex-dividend day and on its ex-dividend day, well, would you price them the same? No, you should price the one that's going to price pay you a 10p dividend higher. How much higher? About 10p. Uh, so I would expect it to move by roughly that on the day. And that's basically the sum total of my thinking on that subject. Fair enough. Uh, have you got another one? 
Um, I've got a couple of other ones. Uh, Paul was dead keen to talk about Terry Smith, um, who I am rarely keen to talk about. But here's a quick mention of what's happened. He's moved some things around a little bit. He's roughly doubled his position in uh, Apple, and he's roughly quadrupled his position in Procter & Gamble, um, which is interesting. Uh, there's an, always a chance with people making kind of... This counts as a big bet. It only takes it to about halfway up his portfolio, but you know, you quadruple your holding in anything. Uh, it counts as a, a significant move, as far as I'm concerned. Um, started buying MasterCard and Marriott, and um, one more stock that we'll come back to in a second... But uh, around the time, Steve, that you and I were saying, well, this isn't great from Procter & Gamble. Aren't, aren't these things supposed to like grow faster than inflation? Or are they brands supposed to mean you push through prices and the customers don't go away and you can therefore fend off inflationary raises? Procter & Gamble isn't doing this. Terry Smith feels differently. Um, I, who am I to question the UK's Warren Buffett? Yeah, um, well, I'm right with you here, Steve. I still don't really see what he's uh, what he's so attracted to here. Um, I noticed that he's clipped the wings of um, Adobe, uh, which is not very timely because I think Adobe's gone up quite a lot this week. I think it went up 10% uh, either yesterday or the day before uh, a loan. So that was that was a large uh, uptick. Um, but yeah, he's just he's just doing Terry Smith things, isn't he? I think he's buying Meta here as well, which is fairly, I think that's, that's quite expensive at the mm. moment. Microsoft is quite expensive at the moment. Procter & Gamble, I wouldn't, I'm not interested in. Apple, at these prices, I'm not really interested in. And Google, I think, has gone up an awful lot recently as well. So, I don't know, Steve. I, I, I'm not the biggest Terry Smith fan in the world, but um, I'd love to see what his rationale is. I'm sure he's, he's he said it. He normally does his little talks, doesn't he? Yeah, he does, I think. I, I can't work out this UK's Warren Buffett thing. I, I hate it as a comparison, but I can't work out whether that means I hate him or I just hate the people who make that comparison. Uh, probably depends on whether I think he makes that comparison. I think he sort of does play to it a bit, which makes me cross at him. But uh, he's been buying a company that we've talked about, or I've talked about on this show, which makes me horrified. And if I owned it, I'd have to sell it instantly. Uh, he's been buying shares in Graco, uh, Steve, which uh, to me looked like a, a Warren Buffett type stock. It is too small for to be a meaningful Berkshire target and too overpriced to be a realistic, like complete takeover uh, um, uh, target. So, it looks like the kind of thing um, well, they're really good at what they do. They move liquids around that are difficult to pump and they make specialist equipment and they get into people's supply chains and they make separate paint sprayers and so on. They have a reputation for being the best. They have very good returns on capital. They have um, okay growth. They actually smashed it out of the park recently with some earnings guidance, um, but uh, not earnings guidance, earnings results. But uh, they are priced accordingly. Basically, they're usually in the sort of high 20s PE-wise, which means that the returns aren't quite there. There is a genuine question of how far you think the growth runway goes for this company. It's really, really good uh, business. I wish I'd known about it sort of uh, eight to ten years ago. But um, right now, it's a kind of weirdish buy uh, to me, given that Terry Smith is someone who holds as one of his principles, don't overpay. Hmm. Yeah, strange one to me. What did you think of his top holdings, Steve? At the moment, we've got Microsoft, Philip Morris, Straker, Idex, and Estee Lauder. Not really anything in there that I'm screamingly excited to go rush out and buy. No, nothing that I'm screaming to go out and buy at the moment. I noticed he reduced an Estee Lauder, Striker, and Idex, I think, and maybe Philip Morris as well, did, uh, yeah. if I'm, I'm right about that. Philip Morris has always been my preferred cigarette uh, company, mostly because of their kind of... Uh, the way I think about cigarette stocks is your 
betting on population growth rising faster than number of than percentage of population smoking declines because that is happening. Uh, and Philip Morris, I think, is best exposed to the countries where population growth is rising the fastest. Uh, so I like their chances better than I like the chances of a bats or definitely an Altria. Uh, they're usually priced at a slight premium to those stocks as well. Uh, I could definitely see my way to thinking they're decent value. I'm not sure I'd be selling them uh, particularly. I'm not sure what's been happening in the Philip Morris world that means all of a sudden you want to run out of there if I previously owned them. Uh, but um i i'm not a massive fan of uh much of this um at the top of that strike is a good company i think it's a medical devices it's the kind of um it's the waste connections versus waste management to intuitive surgical i think so if you think of uh, trash disposal waste management is the big one waste mm. connections is a perfectly good much smaller uh one i think the way i think about it striker is like intuitive surgical but uh a sort of distant perfectly respectable in terms of itself second though yeah, and they do a bit more general um, hospital machinery, isn't they? I've seen them knocking around um, when mm. uh, when we've been at well, when we've been at hospital recently. Yeah, we saw a few bits and pieces of striker equipment. That's something I that was a thing I noticed from the scan photo that you sent me. Actually, your scan photo has Canon written at the top of it, and every scan photo I've seen written before has GE at the top of it, which made me uh, interested to note. Not that there's anything particularly better or worse about one or the other, but when I looked at the GE thing, I thought, oh yeah, they still going. And actually, GE Healthcare is a pretty serious kind of operation. It's um, yeah, big outfit, big outfit, a pretty good outfit as well, uh, from what I gather. Just part of a conglomerate that's been catastrophically badly run more on that story another day um we can talk about uh should we talk about nvidia steve and we can also talk about some more scandalously bad examples of market timing while we're at it sure yeah uh so yeah i've got uh i've got the figures here for you steve uh i've tried to trim this down a little bit but it's going to be quite figury so uh let me just try and shoot through uh nvidia's latest report for you so uh, revenue came in at 7.2 billion. That's down 13% year on year, but was actually plus 19 Q on Q. Uh, gross profit came in at 4.6 billion, which was uh, down 14%. The margin was 65%, uh, down 90 basis points. Uh, non gap net income was 2.7 billion, uh, down 21%, which is a margin of 38%, down 382 basis points. And operating cash flow was 2.9 billion plus 68%. That's a margin of 40% plus 1,959 basis points. Although uh, they had an acquisition termination in the same quarter last year. Uh, otherwise, this would have been flat. Uh, so breaking down it into segments, data center revenue was 4.3 billion plus 14% year on year plus 18% Q on Q. So very good. Gaming was 2.24 billion minus 38% year on year plus 22% Q on Q. And professional visualization was 295 million down 53% year on year plus 31% Q on Q. And lastly, automotive revenue was 296 million plus 114 million year on year plus 1% Q on Q. So, Steve, I thought these were awful, um, but I just want to remind you that NVIDIA grew by a whole McDonald's or two Starbucks on the back of this release. Here's why. Uh, management guide was nuts. 
they guided for 11 billion in revenue, which was plus 64% year on year, plus 53% Q on Q. Uh, Wall Street was expecting 7.15 billion. So 7.15 billion expected, 11 billion guided, 50% over that Wall Street estimate. Absolutely crazy. Gross profit of about 7.5 billion, a margin of 68.6%. So margin growth and huge gross profit growth. And they reckon they do about 4.8 billion in EBIT. So incredible i don't think i've ever seen a guidance uh, raise like it Stephen. and it's worth noting here as well that nvidia are very very conservative guiders uh this completely caught wall street off guard it caught me off guard uh i just think the market has priced this in like it's going to continuously happen for the next 10 years and 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 that reason i'm i'm not really very sure about the stock itself now i think if AI takes off, there's going to be a massive CapEx cycle and the market's kind of realised that now the, the sheer amount of chips that NVIDIA are going to have to make if AI takes off, like if this quarter carries on, is going to be nuts. So things like VAT Group, which is something we've talked about here, um, they were up 20-odd percent. Uh, ASML has been up. It's nearly back at its all-time highs. And then pretty much every chip company you can, you can think about has shot up uh, over the last... Um, over the last couple of days so the market is really thinking this capex cycle is um is coming i'm just not so sure it's here to stay steve i'm still not massively convinced by ai other than it being a massive money sink um feels a bit like madness to me and i guess i'm happy to just watch it how about you I think I agree with most of uh, that. So I agree that, um, let's start at the end, AI looks to me like there's going to be a lot of kind of money lobbed at it unwisely. And in fairness to NVIDIA, if people want to throw their money unwisely into your chips for their ridiculous products, it just behooves you to take it, uh, basically. So demand might be unjustified, but it might well be real. You're absolutely right. I think this is running higher then because of the... AI enthusiasm at the moment and this goes to what I think we talked about last week a little bit so we were looking at the kind of breadth of the recent rally in stocks and looking at big tech and big AI and that sort of thing and noting that this was quite concentrated in certain ways well one of the things that this reminded me of of course was EVs from before and back then it was basically anyone with a picture of an EV appeared to get quite a lot of money thrown at them Things are a little bit different now uh, because rates are higher, things are tighter. But the kind of money that would have made its way into a ridiculous AI-based SPAC uh, or something presumably has to go somewhere. And I think where it's going is into what looks like a, a much more sensible but likely AI play, which is NVIDIA. I think that's partly what we're seeing here. The money that wants to go into um, this is finding its way into a company that is bigger, stronger, reputable. Um you know, nothing against NVIDIA, but like you, I'm not buying it at these prices particularly. It looks priced to do an awful lot. No, and I saw some pretty bad takes on this as well. There was a lot of people who were taking this 20-odd percent run-up, but then using backwards-looking figures to uh, say how expensive it was. And, and that's just... I mean that's just ludicrous. If a company's just come out and said, "Look, we're going to do eleven, we're doing sixty-four percent year-on-year growth," you can throw your historical figures in the bin. Uh, they're no good. They're no good to you whatsoever, especially when it's this big, growing that fast. 
historical figures don't mean anything. They're just there to, to try and uh, do an everything money circle jerk on a stock, um, which is just, you know, which is just no good. Uh, the forward looking figures admittedly don't look much prettier, but they are a more accurate uh, reflection of, um, of, of where the stock's going to go. The problem is, Steve, is that to buy something like this, you've either got to be betting that the stock price is just going to go up and you're going to do a bit of, you know, hope hope and sort of like uh, great fool kind of strategy. Or you've got to try and model this, Steve, to try and model where the growth goes. And, and I, I just don't think you can plug 64% year-on-year growth into a model and, and, and seriously come up with something... Uh, you know worth using in a model so that that's my reasoning is that look nvidia at 140 i had a price alert go off and i i couldn't understand why i'd set a price alert of 140 so i couldn't i couldn't buy it but uh on the flip side looking at it now that looks like a, a very very poor decision except i just can't figure out what what price i'm supposed to buy this company at so at the moment for me it sits in that too hard pile i think and and I think it's just got shuffled even further down the deck. Yeah, uh, most semis are too hard for me, um, which is uh, also true of investing. But I generally think with NVIDIA, I... Um, Jesus don't... Christ. <laughs> Two in one show. Yeah, I, that one was quite strained as well. And Paul's not even here anymore. But uh, NVIDIA definitely goes into the pile of things that's too difficult for me to assess. I was thinking about this this morning and what I might say on this subject. I think... With semiconductors, I'm a bit kind of moat dubious, or I'm more dubious of my own ability to assess moats very well, with maybe one exception. I think having been beaten over the head with this ASML thing uh, over a period of what must be years uh, now, rather than just months, I think I can probably see my way to thinking, yeah, that has a uh, what I can recognize as a durable uh, moat here. It's, by the way, about a quarter of the cost of NVIDIA uh, in terms of market cap. I don't mind whether you think that's where it should be or shouldn't be. Uh, I just note that for the kind of size and scale of the uh, the NVIDIA, the size that NVIDIA's got to at the moment. To my mind, it looks like there's a lot of silly money in there at the moment. If someone wanted to try, uh, you call it great to fall, call it trader, call it speculator, call it what you like here. And I don't mean those terms pejoratively here. I mean them as perfectly respectable activities to do in the stock market. If anyone wanted to have a go at NVIDIA and say, um, uh, yeah, I think this is going higher because I think the AI thing is only starting to uh, move here. There are some big, big names here that are going to make a lot of noise and NVIDIA is going to move higher every time they do. I wouldn't disagree with that. I wouldn't think that was a silly idea. Equally, if someone wanted to buy a very long dated put and say, I think this is coming back down. I just don't know when. Um, I also wouldn't think that was a particularly bad idea. So I've absolutely no objection to anyone who wants to either buy or sell this stock at this price. Uh, I don't i think i have other uh things to do not that they're necessarily better just that they're more things that i can get my head around i think the only thing i would view as i don't want to say criminally bad but i think it's difficult not to at this point would be to set myself up as a specialist in disruptive innovation and uh, ai have an ai etf get a load of nvidia shares and then sell them at the bottom of what was just before this kind of recent run uh that would be i think probably not terribly strong yeah uh yeah that would have been that would have been particularly bad especially to to buy uh things that aren't particularly innovative with the money um like roku uh that's 
an incredible lack of foresight from uh, the ARC Innovation Fund. Yeah, I'm not quite sure which uh, ARC brain was behind that. And look, I'm not a fan of sinking the boat into um, fund managers when they're down. I don't rate the business of fund management. I don't like the idea of charging investors for for that service. Um, But it's fair to say, I guess, that Cathy Wood and ARC have had a couple of moves lately that haven't worked out in the short term. So selling NVIDIA has... Uh, they sold NVIDIA pretty much at the bottom, I think, uh, of where they were coming down to. So NVIDIA went up quite a bit as crypto uh, boomed and their GPU sounds to be very useful for uh, crypto mining. Then various things happened like Ethereum switching to, I think, proof of stake uh, as a uh, way of operating. I don't know enough about this very much, but that uh, dampened demand a bit. Bitcoin prices fell as well. Uh, so GPU demand dried out quite significantly. And then since then, it's gone roaring higher, as we're talking about now. Um, it, it looks like Arc let go of quite a lot of NVIDIA shares at around that point. They still have all some? Of all of it. Oh. all of it, I think. Oh, no. Uh, okay. In that case, uh, okay, so they let go of pretty much all of uh, NVIDIA. And since then, the thing has rocketed. It's their second largest holding in their Arc disruptive innovation flagship thingamy is I think Zoom, which also reported earnings this week. They've gone down by about 5% uh, as the company increasingly looks like it's not really disrupting anything anymore, I think. It now looks more like a kind of steady, state, stable, um, fine business, but I, I don't know as I necessarily think it's quite this far yet, Steve, but do you detect Zoom turning into a bit of a commodity? Uh, Zoom is just Skype with a different logo. I don't understand yeah. why people really thought this was going to be some kind of crazy disruptive thing. Um, back in um, back in the pandemic, it grew 360% or something in a, a year, mainly because it was the only thing people could use to talk to each other. Now we have legs, and we can use them, and we can use our phones, and we can just go and visit people, and nobody wants to use Zoom, and everyone hates Zoom because it basically like dominated our life with the stupid Zoom quizzes that your friends made you do. Um, I just don't want anything to do with it anymore. <laughs> and I just think anybody who buys that under the sort of sticker of disruptive innovation is just straight up lying to investors. There's no disruptive innovation in Zoom. There's nothing it's doing that's disruptive, Steve. And to be honest with you, most disruption and most innovation is just doing the same thing a different way. And um, and I think that's incredibly what what Zoom is doing. And I actually don't think people like the different way. No. So I listened to a Kathy Wood interview around the start of the year where she was talking about uh, Zoom. I think it was on Barron's, actually, the Streetwise podcast, where uh, Jack Howe, who tends to be, I think, at least as far as he can, scrupulously fair, he gets some things wrong, but he attempts to be fair to the people he's interviewing along the way, asked Kathy Wood, I think, what he thought, or what she thought, or in her opinion, was the most misunderstood uh, investment in the ARC uh, portfolio. What's the one that she can't believe people aren't seeing, basically? Because around the start of the year, ARC was deep, deep, uh, dropping territory. It's not great at the moment, but uh, around the start of the year, things are looking really ugly. And she said, Zoom, uh, basically. She said, look, here's what's going to happen. Companies are going to build out their tech stacks. Video calling is going to be an important part of that. Microsoft important too, uh, but there's room for more than one to win here between Microsoft and and zoom and either that's happening slower uh, than she imagined and that's possible or it's happening less than she imagined and that's more of a concern i 
couldn't happen any slower than Zoom's growth. <laughs> Zoom's growth is literally at 3% or something like that. I mean, I saw the art figures that came out at the beginning of the year, and they're predicting something crazy, like, it's like 80% compounded earnings or 60% compounded earnings, and Zoom's just nowhere near that, and I can't see it being that. I mean, literally, I'll put it out there, Steve. If it Zoom compounds earnings at whatever Ark said it will, I'll eat a hat live. Oh, I uh, thought you were going to say you'll name your baby Zoom. Yeah. Kathy um, <laughs> Zoom. Wow. Um, uh, and if you're watching this in the future, Kathy Zoom, you know what happened. <laughs> if you're watching this in the future, any other name, uh, you know that the Zoom thing didn't work out. But okay. Uh, that's so much for NVIDIA, I think, for the moment, then. It's a fairly, I guess, predictable take from us, but it is undeniably impressive and undeniably bold i think from a ceo who is not typically a massive uh loudmouth about their earnings guidance and so on but uh, to push guidance way 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 beyond what wall street was expecting and in the billions here um that's that means it's going to be one that a lot of people are looking at and i think justifiably so interesting just a little tidbit from the call steve that was um and, and yes i agree completely with what you just said but um uh, they, they were tipped off to the AI capabilities of an NVIDIA chip by Google, of all people, who tried to sneak a £120 million order past them. And it was only when <laughs> NVIDIA were like, why are Google buying a £120 million worth of NVIDIA chips that they got kind of tipped off that what Google were trying them out for? Basically because uh, the way AI processes, uh, the, way, the way an AI um, data is processed is slightly different to normal data. It's not a mathematical calculation. Um, it, it, was, uh, it was found that the NVIDIA chips or Google were finding that the NVIDIA chips were much better at processing it than... Uh, than uh, anyone else and it was uh it was just that, that that's what tipped nvidia off to this kind of uh this this kind of change that was coming but this was all the way back in i think this said 2012 uh, but a, a, an interesting story nonetheless mm. uh on the news by the way um uh, everything money favorite intel also got a five percent boost in its share price taking them to down merely 50 percent for the last five years it, nvidia grew by a full intel uh on <laughs> did it yeah uh, that's um i'm not sure oh, that that must be that must be horrifying on a number of levels if you're yeah. everything money, I guess. Uh, but okay, anything else you've been looking at, Steve, earnings-wise? Uh, I've been looking at Deckers. Do you want to do Deckers? Yes, let's talk about Deckers. Uh, okay, so this, uh, for new folks, um, this is uh, it's one that I own, and it's a, a US cobbler, Steve, uh, or shoe brand. And it's probably, its most famous brand is still the Ugg brand. Um, I've said this before, but I'm not buying it for the Ugg brand. I think that's quite old hat, although I don't know anything because it actually scored really well in the Piper Sandler teen survey, came fifth in the female category. Uh, but my bet if you want to call it a bet is that hoka will come along and replace ug at the top and beyond i think ug stays relatively static i think hoka drives the next leg of growth for them and uh in this report we actually saw this transition was closer to happening and and, and is happening at a decent rate so uh this is the full year reports so i've collated everything for you but ug made uh, the majority of sales up 1.9 billion it was actually down three percent year on year it represented about 53 percent of revenue Hoka is now up to 39% of revenue. Uh, it's at 1.4 billion, 59% uh, year-on-year growth. Uh, and the other brands, and they're all crap. And Steve, I've got an admission to make here. I read the word Kookaburra last time we did this. The the shoe brand they own is actually called Coolaburra. 
Wow, so it's like a knockoff version of Kookaburra. I have no idea what it is, Steve, but uh, yes, I uh, yes, I made a mistake. Uh, I apologise, cricket fans. Uh, anyway, other brands, all rubbish. 285 million, about 3% growth year on year. Earnings for Deckers was a bit of a smash, came in at 346 versus 269 expected. Uh, up margin for the quarter grew as well, 13.4% versus 11% last year. And inventory, Steve, they're doing a cracking job of looking after inventory considering they're growing at such rapid rates. Uh, it only grew by about 5% year on year. Some of the quick stats, this is the fourth consecutive year of 50% growth at Hoka. Uh, Direct-to-consumer at Hoka grew 85% again year-on-year. Year. Uh, DEC doubled its purchases in the 18-34 to 34 category. Uh, DEC was, is actually utilising uh, word-of-mouth. Um, um, SG&A dropped by one percentage point year-over-year. Year, and gross margin grew 50% from 48.7%. Uh, so all looking really, really positive. Add it all together, Steve. Revenue grew at 15%. Earnings grew at 20%. So what a flywheel this company has in Hoka. Um, something I remind you that they paid $1.1 million for. And it's now doing, what, $1.4 billion in revenue. So crazy. Worth noting, they still have authorization to take out about 11% of the share count. Um, market didn't like this report at first, Steve. It was down about 4%, but it changed its mind in the morning. And sent it flying about 5% green. Forward PE of Deckers is about 18. Analysts will be revising this number down, I think, because the earnings were such a smash hit. There's an 88% buy recommendation across uh, the analyst, which is uh, nine analysts, eight, eight buy, uh, one as a hold. And analysts, uh, on average, think there's about 10 to 12% headroom still in the price. I think they're wrong on that, Steve. I think all those will get adjusted upwards. Uh, I think it looked a really, really good report. Any thoughts? 10 to 12% headwinds in the price. Um, headroom. Headroom, sorry, yeah, in the uh, price with the authorization to take out 10% of the market uh, cap or the, the outstanding shares, sorry, 11 now. Um, that seems that seems like there ought to be more in the price than that by itself, right? Even if you think that um, Hoka and Argo have run their course for the, uh, for the foreseeable, which I don't. But even if you thought that, uh, the buyback by itself is worth that, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. That's why I'm saying I can't really make any sense of it unless they don't think they're going to do the buyback for whatever reason. No, all this talk about what Deck is up to. Anyone heard from Ant recently? <laughs> I was going to Sorry. make a joke about him running over children. But <laughs> oh, good grief. Uh, you can see what having Paul back on the show does. Uh, this looks like quite a nice um, uh, thing here. I mean, so when we think of these, we're supposed to think of them as kind of cyclical in various ways. I'm not sure I really think they are, though. Hoka is the running shoe brand, right? That's right. Yeah, I was. I looked at that. I thought I quite like the look of it, actually. I wonder whether this might prove to be kind of steadier and a bit more durable than, than the kind of usual... Nothing, I think, in this space is totally acyclical, right? It's very easy to put off buying new running shoes unless you were a very serious athlete, in which case you're probably sponsored anyway. But um, it, it's very strong growth in a, over a short period, isn't it? Um, and the market's taking its time to catch up. I think so, definitely, yeah. I mean, it is up a lot, Steve. It was down in the 200s uh, back uh, back when the market was falling, so it is back near the 500s now, so it's it has uh, it has risen uh, up quite a lot, but there was nothing wrong with um, Deckers as both a brand and um, and an enterprise uh, uh, back then. So I think Oak, I always think of Oak as kind of their winter range, although it does have a range of sandals as well, and I think of Hoka as a more sort of spring, summer, autumn kind of thing. So I think they're kind of taking a bit of cyclicality out of the business by having two brands as uh, similar size now. But the problem is, is that I don't think Hoka stops growing. 
if Ugg can stay as it is, maybe just declining by 3% or growing by 1% or 2%, mm-hmm. uh, it can stay around that kind of range and Hoka just keeps accelerating onwards. I think that's going to be... Uh, I think it's going to be a cracking little business for Deckers. I think it's going to be a really good little learner. The problem is, is that thinking long term, you've got to try and figure out where their next uh, their next brand is going to come from because eventually Hoka will peter out, and what you don't want to be doing is holding a company growing at one or two percent or two or three percent when uh, you know when when they don't have something else coming along, the next flywheel coming along, and I don't think that's going to be Coolabora, Steve. I don't think it's going to be Coolabora, but do you think Hoka? Well, Peter, I mean, here's what I sort of wonder. I think of running shoes as different to Ugg boots. I'm about as good on Ugg boots as you are, by the way, and we, I think, proved this fairly convincingly uh, when we talked about this uh, before. But I think with running shoes, there's more of a drive to the next kind of comfort thing or lightweight thing or durability thing or balance thing or design thing, basically. There's scope to adjust things and move them forwards uh, slightly rather than just focusing on kind of cool, uh, I guess, which I think is probably the main feature of, of Uggs. I know they're a very good quality uh, product, um, Ugg, but... But I wonder whether Hoka might find itself able to kind of endure by competing by by product adjustments and oh, I don't want to say innovation, but you get the idea. Yeah, potentially. I think um, well, that's the beauty of running shoes, isn't it? That they often tend to be worn when you're out running, so they get worn and you have to replace them a lot. So there's always going to be the opportunity to, so long as they can keep new buyers coming along, um, there's always a chance that they should grow at, at least a steady rate. But Steve, the company itself is only about twelve point. Uh, two six billion market yep. cap. So I think there's a very high chance that this just gets taken out by somebody. I mean, like Adidas needs a new brand, Steve, to to come along and uh, you know replace the Yeezy brand that they've uh, they've you know with all the fallout that's happened there. I wonder if Adidas just fancies like a big leverage buyout of Deckers, take the Ugg brand for what it is, and you know sell a tape on this Hoka brand, which is uh, which is going rapidly. It is. So Ugg is bringing in about 1.9 billion in revenue. Hoka 1.4, you said? Yeah. Um, that's, so that by itself takes you to, and Hoka's growing, if we assume that grows to a couple, then that takes you to close to 4 billion in revenues from those two and the market cap's 12. Uh, this doesn't look expensive by, by anyone's estimations. It might have a little bit to come down for a for a complete buyout, but um, I, there's an interesting exit idea, I think, for you. That might be that might be the future. Yeah, that's that could be where it goes. I'm, I'm thinking there's, I mean, there's there's Puma, there's uh, Adidas, there's Nike, there's even maybe the the high fashion bands like Kering and um, LVMH might think this might be a nice little tack on business for them that they can pick up, not very expensive, and tack on a couple of decent brands there. It's an interesting idea that I mean, so their kind of product mix means that partly they appeal to both uh, the kind of Adidas sports side of the uh, things and the caring kind of uh, luxury slash fashion slash luxury fashion um, side. I wonder whether do you think that also means that if you were Adidas or I suppose Adidas could plausibly leave the UGG brand as is and own it and just let that run by itself. You wouldn't try and spin that if you were Adidas because it's not a, a sports product particularly. No, I'm thinking maybe they could they could buy, well, one of the things they could do, leverage buy out of the two brands and then maybe try and sell the UGG brand to somebody like VF Corp who likes mm. to like these kind of things. Stick it with a Timberland brand, it makes a lot of sense. Um, Adidas keep the Hoka brand, that makes a lot of sense. Cuts down the bill a little bit and you get the company you want and you know not the one you don't. 
Yeah, that was kind of what I had in mind by uh, spinning them out, I think. A kind of more straightforward leverage sale to a, to a, a competitor, not a competitor necessarily, but a, a, a more natural home for them. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, um, that pretty much takes us up to the hour mark. Um, Stevie, you last thoughts on uh, Deckers. You mentioned you had your eye on stuff to buy at the moment. Potentially. This one doesn't take us there? Yeah. Yeah, potentially. Um, I've got, I've spent quite a bit of the, the sale money already. I've got about £1,000 left over. Deckers is one of those companies that I could quite comfortably pick up. I'm only about 4% green on it, so it's not going to move my average a massive amount. Uh, I think it's still got a lot of potential, Steve, and I think we, uh, I mean, I'm not sure. I think this might be the last of the 50% growths because it's getting to be quite a big company now, but uh, I mean, I'll take 49%, Steve, and I won't complain about it too much. No, I wouldn't complain too much on that uh, kind of thing. I mean, it's one to uh, you have choices right at that sort of price that's right yeah that's right i've got my eye on adding to one of my biggest ups though i will say um the southern copper's come down quite a bit and i'm starting to think it kind of looks interesting it's very difficult to buy into something green that's um when you've got lots of red things looking at you but um i sort of feel like it might be one of my better ideas we might come back to that in a in a show or two's time sure Anyway, uh, that is our show for this week. We've crossed the hour mark with a brief cameo appearance from Paul, just so you know that he was still alive. We probably should have got him to hold up a copy of today's newspaper uh, or or something like that, Uh, but he might have said something sort of vaguely timely. Um, He's doing great. We're doing great. Thank you all for listening. We've been Steve and Steve and kind of Paul, and we will see you next week.